Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on with the MLB lockout? What do the players want and what do the owners want? And what does the collective bargaining agreement have to do with it all? Well, we'll get to all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. All right, let's break this down. On December 1st, 2021, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, or the CBA, between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association expired. On the morning of December 2nd, the league announced its first work stoppage in more than 25 years. By the way, this is only the ninth work stoppage in MLB history. Lockouts aren't new, but fans may still have questions about what exactly is going on and what this lockout means for the league. Questions like, why is there a lockout this year? And how long does the CBA typically last? And when can we expect the lockout to be over? Will we be able to watch baseball this year? So many questions. And here to answer all of them is Jared Diamond. He is a national basketball writer for the Wall Street Journal and author of Swing Kings. And Jared, you said you've been talking a lot about this. So seems like you're our guy. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. It, it, all I think about now is the fact that baseball is not being played. I get asked a lot, so what are you doing now? You know, the sport you cover is not happening. And I always <laughs> have to tell them, no, this is a much busier now than when they're playing. <laughs> when they're playing is the easy part. This is the this is the hard part. No, completely. I mean, because th- there, there are so many implications that come from a lockout. I, I remember um, back in 2011, the NBA had a lockout. And I remember it like it was yesterday. But it's kind of rare um, to hear it in baseball. I mean, it's it's rare regardless. But, but to hear it in baseball, this is the first work stoppage since the 1994-1995 season. Um, so there's a lot to get to. But uh, maybe... Just for our listeners who might not be familiar with what exactly a lockout is, can you just uh, explain in simple terms what it is? Absolutely. So Major League Baseball, like every American sport, essentially is run based on a collective bargaining agreement that is signed between the team owners and the players unions. Every sport in the United States has a players union. They sign an agreement that goes for in baseball every five years with the owners that just sort of govern the game, how the game is played, the economics of the industry. When that agreement expires, uh, what's supposed to happen is the parties gather, they collectively bargain a new agreement. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way. And the agreement in, in this case in baseball expired without a new deal. So the owners got together and said, well, we don't have a deal with the players right now. We are going to initiate a lockout, meaning the players are essentially not allowed to work. They're not allowed to use team facilities. There will not be a season if the deal is not done by when opening day would be. Uh, And the flip side of that would be a strike if the players were to go on strike. For the fans' perspective, there's really no meaningful difference between a lockout 
and a strike. Uh, but in the terms of how this particular labor stoppage has come to be, it's because the owners have locked out the players. Right. Okay. So uh, just so our listeners understand, a lockout is coming from management and a strike is coming from the players. Um, and it is interesting. They can't use the facilities. You know, there's no baseball to be played. And also uh, some big names are still on the market when it comes to free agency. And that's why this freezing, um, it, that's why we saw so many signings leading up to this, uh, up to the expiration date of the CBA. Uh, so since all transactions will be put on hold um, and there are no trades or anything, what does it mean for free agents? Right now, everything is shut down. So teams cannot sign players. They cannot talk to players. Uh, Major League Baseball right now is essentially acting as if the players don't exist. If you were to go on MLB.com right now, you would not see uh, any mention of any active player. MLB.com right now is basically just uh, stories about things that happened 50 years ago (laughs) and minor league players who are not part of this. The minor league are not part of the Major League Baseball Players Union, and therefore the minor league side of baseball is not impacted by this at all. But that is essentially what it means, that there's nothing. The whole industry, as it pertains to players, is completely shut down. Uh, Teams can still, you know, hire people. They can hire managers. They can hire coaches. They can hire front office people. Anything like that is fair game. But if it involves a major league player, it's currently as if they do not exist at least in the eyes of Major League Baseball. All of this stems back from what you mentioned before, the strike of 1994. In that case, they did not have a CBA. The owners did not initiate a lockout, and they played. They had part a season without an agreement while they negotiated, and the players right at the biggest part of the season went on strike. So ever since then, no sports league has ever allowed a season, any games or anything to happen without an agreement because that strike was so damaging to baseball that every other sports that we can never let that happen. So I think the owners sort of learned their lesson uh, from that this time. Right. I think uh, the 94-95 lockout, I think it canceled like 938 games in the entire 1994 postseason. So was not good for the game of baseball. Now we're kind of seeing this again. So how long does a lockout typically last? It lasts as long as it takes. <laughs> you know, Major League Baseball uh, we've talked about baseball having labor peace, and they have for 26 years until now. That's unusual. Uh, baseball has had tons of work stoppages since the formation of the union. There's been strikes, there's been lockouts, uh, and they've lasted various amounts of time. They've had a lockout that lasted two weeks, and they had a strike that, like you mentioned, 94 95, that canceled the whole postseason and went into the season in 1995. So, uh, chances are this one will be sometime somewhere in between those two things. You know, right now it's the off season. Uh, no one is really losing any money. There's no games being missed. So the big question really is whether they could get this done uh, in time to have a season because that's when things really get real. Right? It's easy for a fan to sort of forget that baseball is a work stoppage right now. Mm-hmm. The NBA is going on. The NFL playoffs are coming up. College football bowl games are coming up. There's tons of other sports to occupy us. But if we get to February 15th and pitchers and catchers are not reporting to spring training because there's still a work stoppage, suddenly that changes the equation dramatically. And that's when you, you hope as a fan, the parties get serious about making a deal. Yeah. And as a player, too, because you want to make your money. <laughs> right. I mean, so, so then what in this lockout, what do the owners want in this one in particular? 
the owners really don't want all that much. Really what's driving this is that the players want change. The owners are really kind of happy with the status quo. They want some changes around the margins. The the owners want to expand the postseason, which comes with lots and lots of money in their pockets if they add teams to the playoffs and have extra playoff inventory to sell to Fox or to Turner or ESPN. Uh, but really what's driving this is the fact that the players are seeking some pretty big changes to the sort of foundations of baseball's economics. Uh, baseball has a, an economic system that's different than every other sport in America. There is no salary cap. That is the primary major difference between baseball and every other sport in the United States. And uh, the players have been unhappy with the way that the last CBA went for them. The one that was signed before the 2017 season, uh, they feel as if veteran free agents have been squeezed and not getting the sorts of contracts they used to get. They feel as if that teams uh, have sort of collectively decided to stop competing. You hear the term tanking thrown about uh, a lot in baseball in the last few years. So the players are seeking some pretty, pretty big changes and the owners at this point have not been willing to really engage with them on some of these big changes, like how long it takes to become a free agent or at what point you are eligible to have for salary arbitration. These are some pretty big foundations of baseball's economics. And the owners right now are saying, like, no, this, these systems have been in place for decades. We don't want to change them. The players do want to change them. And that's sort of why we are where we are. It's recess time, but we'll be back soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So then how do you come to an agreement if if you are looking at this conversation? Because if the owners want one thing and the, the players want another and, um, you know, how do they finally come together? Like what what does the negotiation look like, I guess, is what I'm wondering. Yeah, like the way it's supposed to work, it's, it's supposed to be a beautiful thing, right? Collective bargaining. It's the whole idea behind collective bargaining is you get the management and the employees in a room. And they give and take, right? One side uh, makes a concession. The other side makes a concession. At the end of the day, you have a deal that everyone's happy with. That's what's supposed to happen. Uh, When you end up in a situation like this, when you have a work stoppage, that's uh, an attempt to sort of put pressure on the parties to start bargaining. Because right now, in baseball, they're not. Uh, They're really not negotiating. Really, what they've been doing is sort of talking over each other, right? The the management's made a proposal. The union has taken that proposal and said, okay, I'm going to put it over here to one side and I'm going to make my proposal that basically ignores everything you propose. And then management's doing the exact same thing back. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to work. So you hope eventually they're going to have to actually start talking to one another <laughs> in a productive way. They're going to have to start making concessions. At the end of the day, what this is about is both sides have to give something up, right? And they have to both get to a place where they feel like they got something in return for something that they're conceding to the other side. 
that's not happening right now. I do believe that as we get closer to money being lost, that's when we'll start seeing those real conversations. Because like you said, players are not getting paid right now. Players do not get paid until March 31st, which is opening day. The owners also are not really making much of their money now, right? There's no games being played. Really, they don't start raking in the big bucks until you know maybe spring training games, then the regular season as well. So losing money, checks not coming in, that has a way of, of motivating people to suddenly make a deal. It's much easier to take a hard line stance when you're not losing anything, which is the case right now for both sides. All right. The CBA, it's five years, right? Is it always yeah, five years? Long, his, traditionally, baseballs is five years. Other sports have longer tenures. I believe the I believe the NFL CBA is like 10 years. Right. So that's years. why... That's why I'm, I'm wondering, because at the top, I was saying it, this is rare. It's, I mean, it's not so rare to have a lockout, but you don't see it that often because the CBA doesn't expire until every five years. Is that right? Correct. So they, they are, this can never happen in the middle of an agreement. Once, once the agreement is signed, it, mm-hmm. it'll be for five years, you assume. And that essentially ensures five years of peace. And ever since the, the 95 uh, strike ended, the 94-95 strike ended, the two sides have been able to reach new agreements every five years without it expiring. Now, they've come close uh, back in 2006. Basically, they got a deal done, you know, at 11.58 when the deal expired at midnight. I mean, they, they've had some close calls, but they've been able to get it done. This time they were not. Uh, and yeah, once they get it done, you're looking at, you hope, hopefully longer than, but at least five years without having to worry about these conversations. Yeah. So that's why the stakes are pretty high, because if the players don't get what they want, they have to wait another five years to then ask for it again. Right. Absolutely. And the players saw that in the last agreement, the 2017 or the 2016 for the 2017 season agreement, the, the most recent one. Oh, look, at the time, uh, I'm sure the players thought it worked out well for them, maybe. Uh, they signed it, so they must have not hated it. But over the course of that agreement, the average player salary in baseball went down, mm. which is basically unprecedented in the history of the baseball players union. So clearly that's why they're in this position. They were very unhappy with an agreement that they signed, which is why they're out there now trying to make big changes to it. But right, they had to endure five years indoor. I mean, look, they still did well. The minimum salary is still close to $600,000. They're not going broke, but they had to go through five years where they knew that they had a deal that was not favorable to them, that was much more favorable to management. And there was nothing they could do about it until now, which is why they're taking this position, knowing that they have a lot of goals they'd like to accomplish and they don't get another chance yeah. for five years once this, sign, this thing is done. And look, it's very hard to start getting things back, right? Once something's in the agreement, it's very hard to take it out. So it's very important that you make good deals when you have the chance. How often are the players meeting and the, the owners meeting throughout this? Because, right, wait, from a player's perspective, there are a lot of players, but I, I, it goes through the Players Association, correct? So do they nominate someone to kind of be the spokesperson and do nego- negotiations on behalf of the players? So the way it works is that the, the Baseball Players Union is run by its executive director, Tony Clark, who is a, a longtime major league player. He, he was a very good first baseman in the 90s and into the 2000s. He's actually the first former player ever to run the MLBPA. Right under him is a guy by the name of Bruce Meyer, who is a, a very 
longtime veteran attorney, labor attorney. He is their chief negotiator. He, Bruce Meyer, is the primary person in the room with MLB's chief negotiator, whose name is Dan Halem. They're the ones that are sort of at the forefront of this. The, under that, the union has a executive subcommittee that is eight active players. Uh, it's sort of the, the top player membership in the union. Those are those eight players are voted on by the other players. They are the eight players that sort of speak for everybody else. Those eight players include Garrett Cole with the Yankees, mm-hmm. Max Scherzer with the Mets, uh, Francisco Lindor is on it. It's, it's eight guys. Those That's the first sort of group. They talk. There's then each team then has a player representative. Uh, someone from each team is sort of on the union board as well. So that's 30 plus the eight from the executive subcommittee. Those 38 basically have to sign off on anything that happens before it goes to the full player membership. So it's 38 players that basically are run the show. Uh, and eventually, before they ratify the deal, they'll put it to a vote to all the players. But it has to get past that group of 38 first. Do the players ever disagree with one another? Are there ever players that are like, I don't really want that? Or, you know, I kind of let's just come to an agreement in this way. Does that ever happen? Or is it pretty across the board that the players yeah. want? Look, the same thing. They have solidarity, and which is what you need to have, be a successful union. But that's not to say that they're all 100% on the same page all the time. It's important to remember that baseball players, they all are sort of in very different situations. On the one hand, you have these the stars, these star players who have gigantic contracts that guarantee them tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. They have job security. Uh, they have very different aims than, say, a young player. Uh, who's just coming up, a player that maybe is going up and down from the minor leagues. We, we like to think about the star players and we say, oh, they're very wealthy because the average salary in baseball is you know over $4 million. So we think, mm-hmm. oh, they, they're all super rich. It's actually not true. Uh, the way baseball, really all sports are set up, is that a relatively small number of players uh, collect a very outsized portion of all of the money that goes to players in salary. There's actually a very large percentage of players that make well under a million dollars, in some cases, much, much, much less. They have no job security. The average career in baseball is only about, you know, three to four years or so. Uh, many, most baseball players are a very large percentage of them. They're not going to retire with millions of dollars in the bank. That's just not how it works. We like to think that's how it is. I think that's what, as fans, just assume they're all wealthy, but that's not really the case. Uh, so that is sort of, I wouldn't call it a, a source of friction, but it is something to consider because veteran players tend to be the ones that are involved with the union. So it's really important that the veteran players keep in mind the needs of the younger players, the players that don't have the, the $50 million contracts, the players that really don't have, quote unquote, a seat at the table because they're not the ones that are most involved with the union. And that's a, a, a little area of sort of leverage that the owners will often try to use, right? Mm. A big talking point from the owners is telling the, the young, making sort of trying to divide the players between this very small group of very rich, very successful star players and the rank and file who has very different needs and try to use that as a way to sort of uh, divide the players, which uh, we'll see if that's a, a tactic they use now, but that's historically been an approach that ownership management has taken in these uh, in these disputes. That's really interesting. 
when you come to think about it. Because it is true. I mean, the players' union is made up of all the players. And so you have guys who don't make nearly as much as some of the top dogs, the veteran players. Uh, and their voices also need to be heard as well. Um, just to kind of get back to this free agency question. So, you know... you. Someone that comes to mind is Chris Bryant. I was a huge Cubs. Well, I am a huge Cubs fan, and he unfortunately is no longer with the Cubs. But um, mm-hmm. I think about him. So what? How, how does this lockout affect his free agency? It's a great question, and it's one that I've asked a lot of people in baseball myself. And no one really is sure what's going to happen. It's going to be very strange. So when the lockout ends, you're going to see a, a suddenly have a, a landscape where there are lots of free agents uh, who all need to find jobs in a very, very short time because when the lockout ends, basically will probably be they'll probably be heading right to spring training very, very quickly. So what is that going to do? Who's going to have leverage in negotiations for, in free agency then? Is it going to be the players because teams are desperate to sign guys before spring training? Or is it going to be the teams because uh, there's so many players available and there's, this, uh, there's so much uh, supply and you know not as much demand? We'll see. No one's really sure. For Chris Bryant specifically, he'll be fine. He's a great player. Star players in any sport, they never have anything to worry about. Star players get paid. Some team is going to give Chris Bryant a ton of money. Mm-hmm. The guys who may have trouble when the lockout ends are some of these sort of second-tier, middle-class free agents, these veteran free agents that uh, might get squeezed out because suddenly there's just so much, so much supply on the market. That won't impact Chris Bryant, though, because he's a great player. And yeah. stars, stars get paid. Yeah, That's just Chris a, a Bryant, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story. Freddie Freeman. Yeah, yeah they're going to get paid. They'll, they'll find a spot to land, for sure. <laughs> All right, we got to step aside real quickly, but class will be back in session right after this. Let's say that this this lockout goes into the season. Once they reach an agreement, does the season start from that point, or is it truncated? How does that work? Yeah, it really depends. It depends on when it gets settled. Uh, basically, if we get to a place where you're heading into the season and there's no deal done and they ha- and we're sort of cutting into the spring, uh, basically what the season looks like basically becomes part of the agreement mm. at that point. They, they'll have to agree on sort of what, what it looks like. Will they have to shorten games? Obviously, neither party wants that to happen, right? Because fewer games means less money for everybody. So the goal always is going to be to play all, all 162 games. And you could do that if you kind of start. You could start a little bit late and still play all 162. You could have double headers. You know, there's things you could do. But look, if we get into mid-April, May, and there's still no deal, well, obviously in that case, there's no chance they're going to be able to play the whole season. Uh, baseball is not an indoor sport. They can't just play it in <laughs> December and January. It's got to be played when it's warm out. Yeah. So we hope it doesn't get to that point. But if this goes long enough, yeah, we're going to get to a place where the season gets shorter. Look, we've had experience with shorter seasons, right? 2020 was only 60 games. So <laughs> unfortunately, we already experienced that. And I don't think anyone else wants, and no one wants to go through that again because that was not very fun. No, that was not. We want baseball. The more, the merrier. I'm saying let's get this let's get this thing figured out ASAP. Um, So then what I'm thinking about is just kind of the relationship between the players and management. Does this harm that relationship at all? Because anytime you're trying to negotiate and you disagree on something, you think maybe that has a harmful effect on the relationship. So how do you get past all of this when when uh, there is an agreement reached? The players are not happy. They're not happy that that the lockout was called for 
so quickly. They, you know, the the management says they had no choice but to do this. The players say you did have a choice. You didn't have to call for this lockout. We could have kept negotiating uh, without a lockout, you know, being in, you know implemented. So that was sort of a, a negative. The players did not view that coming. The reality is the relationship between uh, management and the players' union has been sour for the last few years. This lockout was not a surprise. We kind of all saw it coming. Anyone that's sort of in this world saw it coming for years because the relationship has really gotten worse and worse in the last three to four years or so. But like, here's the good news. Once they make an agreement, and they will make an agreement at some point, they're going to make a deal. Baseball is not going to not be played forever. At some point, there's going to be baseball again. Thank God. They're going to they're have a press conference. And Rob Manfred and Tony Clark are going to stand up there together. They're going to shake hands for the camera. And they're going to talk about how they came together and made this deal. And then will they have fights again six months later? Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure they will. Because that's what happens in, the, in these sort of relationships. But I really do believe that it's not personal or at least it shouldn't be personal if it gets personal you have a problem it really is just business uh there's people you know, i know all of these people uh at all on both sides there are people who i they're they're good people right these are not like these are not like big horrible jerks that are just <laughs> trying to like steal money from one side or the other they're just looking out for the people that they work for rob manfred works for the owners tony clark represents the players their jobs are to try to make money for their constituents. That's just how this works. It's never sort of this personal thing. And at the end of the day, they'll make an agreement. They'll shake hands. They'll fight again in the future. But at the end of the day, I think it's not that they don't get along personally. They just see uh, the path forward for baseball's economics differently. And that's sort of where we are. That's interesting. The path forward for baseball economics uh, is kind of a, an interesting thought because this is America's game. And the the traditionalists like to see baseball played in one way. And then maybe the new age thinkers want it to be done a different way. So in your opinion, how will this lockout change the way baseball is played or baseball is watched? Hopefully, we hope that at some point soon, uh, there are some major changes to the way the game is played. It does not look like it's going to be during the CBA. Though. We all know, anyone that, that watches baseball knows, the games are really long. Yes, They're longer than ever last year. Three hours, 11 minutes was the average time of game last year, which is an all-time record. Uh, the game is very different than it was 15, 20 years ago. There's all the strikeouts, all the home runs, all the pitching changes. There's so many sort of things that's different about the game. And I think everyone sort of recognizes on both sides that there's probably some changes to be made to improve the game and improve the fan experience to make it more watchable, to make it faster, to make it more action-packed, to make it more exciting. Um, And they're going to have to get together and start talking about some of these rule changes, whether it's the pitch clock, whether it's banning infield shifts. Uh, There's plenty of other ideas that you've heard floated around. However, it does not sound like they're going to really talk about that as part of this collective bargaining agreement. The reason for that is they don't have to. Uh, rule changes typically are not part of collective bargaining negotiations. That's that's really more reserved for economics of how the money is split between the players and the owners. Uh, and ownership has indicated at this point that they don't expect to formally propose 
rule changes as part of the CBA discussions. And there's a very sort of interesting reason for that. Uh, the reason they're doing that is ownership feels is that if they were to present rule changes as part of the CBA and they were to put them on the table, the players would then take them and use them as a chip to mm-hmm. try to trade for economic considerations, uh, which to the owners is not a reasonable trade, not ammo they want to give the players. The other sort of interesting part of this is that the owners technically don't need the players' approval to make rule changes. Actually, Rob Manfred has the right under historically under the CBA, and this will almost certainly be part of the next agreement as well, to implement any rule change he wants after one year's notice to the players' union. To this point, Rob Manfred has declined to do that. He's had the right to just put a pitch clock in without the players' approval for years. Mm. He has chosen not to and has said repeatedly that he wants rule changes to be part of an as part of an agreement with the players. He does not want to go over their head and just put in rule changes. He wants to reach an agreement with the players. So it doesn't look like it's to be part of the CBA, but I do expect sort of very shortly after this deal is signed, we are going to hear a lot more movement about, hey, players, let's get together and really start talking about what these rule changes could be. Because at the end of the day, these rule changes, they're not about who makes more money, the owners or the players. These rule changes are about making the game better for fans. They're about making the game better Mm -hmm. for everybody. So there should be a way for them to get together and say, how can we make the game better? Because making the game better for fans ultimately leads to more people watching, which leads to more money put in that pot for them to eventually fight it over five years from now. That's right. It's all about money. You said it before, and it, it is true. I mean, everybody wants the money. And of course, it's all about the game, too. And and as we watch this and have seen a shift in baseball, how it's played, um, that's always been a factor in it. But at the base of everything, it is a business. MLB is a business, as, as are you know other leagues as well, NBA, NFL, things like that. So just as we wrap this up, up, Jared, uh, can you just, I know we, we talked about this earlier on, but just to put a quick little button, a little recap on what do the players want and what do the owners want? So the players are looking for basically two things. One is uh, in what they would call, what they call sort of an improved competitive landscape. And what that means is what they want is sort of curb the practice of tanking teams sort of intentionally losing to try to gain draft picks for the future. They want to create a system where teams are incentivized to win all the time. Because what the players view now is that the system is set up in such a way that if you're a team that's going to win 75 games, you're actually incentivized to try to lose more. Instead of winning 75 games, you'd actually rather win 65 games because then you get a higher draft pick. So they mm-hmm. want to create some sort of system where that team that has 75 wins has a reason to try to win 79, that there's some tangible benefit to them to continuing to try to win. And the reason the players want that is that teams not trying to win don't sign free agents for big money. So they want all 30 teams trying to win every single game, every single year, and therefore competing for the best players. The other thing that the players want is a system that allows younger players to be paid earlier in their careers. The way baseball is set up right now is that basically for the first three years, you make the league minimum. For the next three years, you get to go to salary arbitration. And then after six years, you get to go to free agency. That's basically the system. Well, free agency for many players is no longer the 
guaranteed cash cow it, it, it used to be because teams have gotten smarter about how they spend their money. They view veteran players differently than they did in the past. Uh, performance enhancing drugs being out of baseball has had an impact on this as well because you don't have guys that are 38 years old dominating like we had in 2000, 2001. Uh, so they won the system where those younger players maybe aren't making the minimum for three years and have a chance to be paid more commensurate with their value. The owners want really to maintain the current economic system. They're pretty happy with it. Uh, they would like a system that, uh, to them, they think baseball's biggest problem is that small market teams are not able to compete with big market teams. There's no salary cap in baseball, so the owners are always upset about the fact that the Yankees and Dodgers and Red Sox could just win, get all the best players and win the most championships. And what about the Pirates and the Reds and the Tampa Bay Rays? Uh, so they want sort of changes to help those teams. And they want an expanded postseason because that's a lot of money in their pocket if they could expand the number of teams in the playoffs and sell those games. So those are basically in a very, very broad terms what the parties are seeking. <laughs> that was perfect because now we can kind of, as we move forward and, and follow this closely, you, you kind of can look at it as like, okay, well, a concession was made here or or the players got this, the owners got that. So, Jared, thank you so much. That was um, very informative and, and good because this doesn't just happen in baseball. This happens in every sport and albeit it, it looks different and the players want different things depending on the sport, but this one truly is fascinating. So we'll see what what happens and maybe we'll have to have you back on to talk about it once this this ends. Sounds great. Hopefully that's that's sooner rather than later. I don't think I could handle this for too long. Me neither. (laughs) Fingers crossed. If you miss anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Jared Diamond about the MLB lockout. Number one. An MLB lockout happens when the collective bargaining agreement, or CBA, expires and owners and players have not come to an agreement. There's a difference between a strike and a lockout. A strike comes from the players, but a lockout comes from management or the team owners. Number two, I asked Jared if negotiations bring out any animosity at all. And he said that this is really just business. He's talked to owners, he's talked to players, and says they're good people. Rob Manfred is just trying to do what's best for the owners, and Tony Clark has the best interest of the players in mind. It's not that they don't get along personally, they just see the path forward for baseball's economic landscape a bit differently. And number three. People are wondering, when will this lockout end? Well, it ends when it ends, when the players and owners actually come to an agreement. There really is no set timeline. It all depends on when both sides feel like they are in a good place in negotiations. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the MLB Lockout with Jared Diamond. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.